And we are live for episode 10 of the First Strike Podcast. This is your host, KYT. The show is brought to you by the good folks of FaceToFaceGames.com. I'm super happy, super happy that we got to episode 10 and we've got our most frequent co-host, Robert Lombardi, to celebrate episode 10 with us. How's it going, Rob? What's up? Life's good. Hey, everyone. <laughs> and we also got Vince D'Agostino with us on this episode. He's back for a second, <laughs> uh, second battle against Rob tonight. Yes, the rematch. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. No problem. Um, just a, a quick little reminder that this episode can be rewatched on YouTube or you can subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or any podcast app that you may have. So this past weekend, finally, we finally got there. We finally got to Ether Revolt being legal in a constructive format. And first off, we got the SCG. One of the first tournaments that everyone looks at is anticipating because it usually sends um, a good, gives a good overall picture of what the PT might look like, though a lot of Pro Tour teams are not really going to be jamming their, their secret decks if they have any already. Uh, Rob, did you get a chance to check out some of the coverage this past weekend? Yeah, I didn't get to watch a lot of it while it was happening, but I followed up uh, afterwards to take a look at kind of how the top eight played out and uh, some of the deck lists. It's definitely uh, interesting. I guess people kind of predicted it, so I'm not too surprised um it's pretty homogenous though there were like two big winners um but i guess we'll we'll get into that in a second uh vince did you did you get a chance to watch or yeah i mean pretty similar sentiment to rob um is i was actually pretty surprised how like it was it was basically two decks that dominated the entire tournament which usually at when you have a new set come out you expect a little bit more diversity but i guess people figure things out pretty quickly and those two decks, the black-green decks, which there's sort of variants in between them, but the, bla the black-green archetype and the, the Sahili decks are really the two clear winners from that tournament. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's first talk about the Sahili deck, a deck that me and Rob were uh, privately talking about on Facebook and we're genuinely really excited about uh, to brew it. Uh, we thought it might be just a, a port of the Jeskai uh, Panharmonicon deck from, from pre-ban. Uh, but no, people went, I was surprised that people went the extra color uh, in, in, with green. Were you surprised, Rob, or did you think it was pretty clever? Because they added like cards like Oath of Nyssa and the 3-2, uh, I believe, Renegade that draws you a card when it comes into play? Yeah, so I, I mean, if you would have asked me beforehand <laughs> if this deck was going to be uh, present at, like, in the top tables, I would have Probably said no, but like taking a, a better look at it, I'm not too surprised. I think it's probably a better build than the straight Jeskai version. I saw there was like one uh, deck that was closer to the Panharmonicon deck that we were kind of thinking that might uh, come out. The list looked a little bit untuned. It's playing for decoction module and stuff like that. It was, I think, somewhere in the top uh, 64. Um, so it's, it's alive. I don't know if it's going to be <laughs> if it's going to be good going forward. But uh, this four-color deck is is good. I mean, you, I think Rogue Refiner is a really good addition. I think Oath of Nyssa is a nice addition since it finds both the Guardian and Sahili. I don't think that the configuration is quite right, though. Um, and I think you're going to see this deck iterate quite a bit over the next coming weeks and then probably go under a, a large metamorphosis at the Pro Tour and then come out to something that, uh, you know, something that will probably be 
uh, what the metagame picks up and uses for the rest of the format. Vince said, was there a particular version that you liked more? Did you like the green version? Did you like, uh, I see Daniel Fournier, a uh, friend, friend of mine, was able to finish seventh, and he went more control. He went just Sky Route, no Panharmonicon uh, shenanigans, but went way more controlly with disallows, anticipate, negates, uh, revolutionary rebuffs, shocks. Like, he went the total control yeah. route, whereas I, like, when I was watching coverage myself, I didn't like the, the fact that the green card, uh, the green version were playing things like Spell Queller, which for me was more, I understood why I played it in blue-white flash because it allowed me to gain a lot of tempo. But I kind of like if I feel like if I'm going strong combo, I, I might just go more controlly. Or or if I'm going green, I'm not going to play it. I don't think I'm going to play a card like spell college. But what do you think is the best uh, Sahili uh, Ray shell? So I think Rob made one good point in the sense that this deck's going to be iterating a lot, especially like this is the first week, obviously, so we don't have a lot of of Intel to figure out how to build this deck correctly. I disagree on where it's going to go. I agree more with where Fournier was going with the control idea. Um, obviously, like if we're looking at the decks that are in this top eight and even in the top 64, they're all pretty heavily creature-based decks, right? I'm not sure if adding green to to play things like Rogue Refiner are, is, is really helping you win matchups against these creature-heavy decks. I'd rather be playing potentially Fumigate's main deck and I want to I want to be jamming torrential gear hulk in this deck hard. Like I want a good package of instants. Get shock out. Shock is terrible. Shock doesn't kill anything. I want things like harness lightning. I want my the glimmer of genius. I think it's called the four mana draw two scry two. Um, yeah. Radiant flames is great against these black green decks. And then I want fumigates. So basically, you're just playing a control deck that happens to also have a really great way of killing people. So that's where I want to I want to end up with the deck. I don't want to go four color. I think it's too messy. Hmm. Uh, Rob, where, where do you want to take? Where do you want to try? What do you want to try first if you were to play this like this week? Yeah, so I, I've seen some lists popping up like in the MTGO beta already that are uh, iterating on the four color lists. So they're actually playing more um, like of a, of a Marvel shell. So like I guess it's probably closer to the sixth place list by Tyler Hill. But instead of like packing with uh, I, what I think are probably like Oath of Chandra, which aren't really, you know, doing what you want in this format anyways. They're playing, you know, the Puzzle Knots and Aetherworks Marvel, and then they have, like, a little bit of an Ulamog package going on as well. So uh, it, it seemed interesting because you get a lot of uh, good interaction with Sahili and, and the Guardian and Servant with some, you know, and the Rogue Refiner with some value stuff, generating energy and making them attack that strategy. And then you can just, like, kind of end of turn marvel into the the piece you're missing and uh if you if you don't hit then you can likely generate enough energy to do something to you know to do it again and try and uh, try and hit sahili or the guardian uh with your backup plan being like you know kind of a a chandra large planeswalker possibly like an ishkana um or, or ulamog right so i think that that is pretty well diversified and i think it'll replace at least kind of the the list that tyler hill was uh, trying to go for with this more like planeswalker long game strategy. Um, I still think it's very powerful to hit, uh, you know, to hit an Ulamog off a of Marvel, and it makes it very annoying uh, for your for your opponents, right? Because they need to be playing stuff that deals with Sahili, stuff that deals with Guardian, and stuff that can deal with an Ulamog or potential planeswalkers. So I don't know that that's probably where I'm going to start brewing and see if I can get kind of um, very similar to like the the red green energy decks that were. 
kind of uh, popping up right before all the bannings happen and see if I can squeeze Sahelian Guardian and Rogue Refinery into, into that list uh, cleanly. Hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense, Rob, because when I was watching Robert Graves' deck in um, the SCG coverage, uh, he ha- he has all these cards that you mentioned that produce energy. Uh, Rogue Refiner makes two. Uh, of course, playing the full playset of Servant of Conduit makes two as well. And it was like he's playing all these cards that go well, but that also incidentally produces a lot of energy. And it's like what what are you using all that energy for? What can you use it to to, to sort of pay off um, all that energy? And I, I've seen he plays one copy of Shield It. Ether Thief, uh, it's like the zero four, uh, one blue, one colorless flash. Whenever it comes, it blocks. You get an energy, but you can tap it to pay three energy to draw a card. And uh, why not just yeah, like like you said with with these lists that are you're seeing being involved on Moto. Why not just jam Marvel to use all that energy uh, that you have. The other breakout deck, like like uh, Vince mentioned, is the green black deck, but there were many, many uh, different flavors that I saw. And if you look at the SCG uh, top eight, there's already a delirium build and uh, it beat an aggro build, which I saw uh, on the SCG live coverage. I watched the finals, which was also based around this energy theme. This like it had siphoners, um, different, it had harvesters, it had, the walking ballista it had all these different um, new cards that I had never seen before. It looks completely different from the Delirium deck. Uh, Vince, uh, was there a particular green black build that you you liked from uh, this past weekend? So, like, yes and no. Like, I don't actually like any of the builds that were in this top eight. I, I think a lot of them are are on the right path in terms of where they want to be, but um, I think. The way this shell of, of these green black cards works, like you've got the walking ballista, which surprised me as being actually good. I know I like I was not expecting that card to be as good as it was. Um, you have the legend, I think it's called Rickshaw Rickshaw or the the one that puts counters on creatures and they can tap for green mana. So you have that, you have uh, ballista, and you have this two three death touch creature, or not two three death touch, it's a two three for two that grows the number of counters that you produce whenever you put a counter on a creature. Um, so you have this shell of the, the shell of these three cards that are really good with each other. And then Virgil's Gearhall, the the five drop four four trample that puts counters on things, and you you kind of have to think about like what type of of deck would those four cards slot best into. Some people felt like it was Delirium, and they were playing things like Mindrack Demon, um, trying to to leverage things like Grim Flare and and go aggr- sort of mid rangey that way. And then there's these other decks that are going really low to the ground with things like. Um, the two unmenace that you mentioned that can draw cards and playing sort of an energy theme. I think going low to the ground is much better with this package. I think what you want to be doing is playing Virgil's Gearhulk as a way to just end the game um, rather than sort of doing this middling strategy. Um, so with that being said, I, I think I want to go low to the ground aggro. I'm not sure if the builds that were in this top eight are doing it the right way. I don't know if energy is correct. Like you can just jam a bunch of really efficient two drops and just curve out into a Virtuous Gearhulk, and that's going to be hard for a lot of decks to beat. Um, I, I like Nissa in the deck, too. I think there's way too much uh, synergy with the Nissa Planeswalker to not be playing it in these types of decks. So, yeah, I, I don't know if any of the decks that are in this top eight got it exactly where I expect it to be, but the ones that were 
quoted as aggro decks, I think are closer to where I expect them to be than than the than the uh, delirium ones. Yeah, what about you, Rob? Yeah, yeah, I so I think I like the first place deck best. Um like Vince said he doesn't like the mind rack demons. I think I don't like them going forward, but I like his choice for this tournament. And I'm not sure if it was a conscious decision to just to try and leverage Grimflare, or maybe if a little more thought was put into it. But um, you know, he you can see how he has built his removal package, right? Two fatal push, two ruinous path to the slogness. So like Mindwreck Demon's actually like pretty good against this removal package if if you're expecting people to be along the same lines as you. And if we look at some of the other lists, like that Fatal Push Graphs of Darkness um, mix is definitely uh, common across all three uh, green-black aggro decks. So well-suited because like murder's not, you know, murder's not there, right? So like if you, you just curve out, make them grasp or Fatal Push one of your two drops, hit a Minorak Demon and then like just suit it up with Gear Hulk and start smashing them for eight. If they don't have three other cards that they possibly could have in their deck potentially, uh, then they're just going to die to that and they don't really have a good way out of it. So I think it, it was probably very good in the in the green-black mirrors, which is why it came out on top. Um, but I, I, I agree that I don't like it too much going forward as people are going to kind of get wise to that and it doesn't really do... It's really not impactful, right? So um, it's mostly in that... I agree with the shell, Ballista, Constrictor, um, Rishkar, uh, Gear Hulk, and Grasp with some fatal pushes seems to be where you where you want to be. And like everyone kind of has uh, very similar numbers for those cards, and with with a very wide mix of other creatures and spells that they and planeswalkers that they, they decided to use, and they all did fantastic. Which means like that that shell is just completely bonkers, right? So I think this deck really only has you know nowhere to go but up. Uh, since, you know, three very different lists all crushed the tournament. Um, curious to see where, where people go. I, Walking Ballista also, yeah, didn't think it was going to be completely bonkers, but it deals with a lot of things in the format, and uh, with Constrictor, you just get a lot of value. It's, uh, it's a strong card. Yeah, I, I did not expect Walking Ballista to, to be a thing. I One of my friends, Jay uh, Lansdale, had asked me in, in chat while he was, like, building some of these lists, what I thought of the card, should try it? It just felt, uh, in theory, really slow. But as I'm watching um, the, the games uh, unfold on, on SCG, uh, the fact that it just – I didn't realize that uh, it had so much synergy in the format when I saw it, like, like you said, Constrictor – when you play it and then you can gear hawk it up to get all that extra value and finish off your opponent's team that was kind of crazy to me and even um the fact that rishkar 2-2 giving even more tokens but then turning some of your maybe uh weaker creatures that no longer can can fight in combat turning them into sort of mana dorks to make the ballista even bigger like once again because you get two of them you tap those guys make the ballista even bigger and just seeing all those counters being able to finish off a Harvester. Um, do you think, uh, Rob, do you think Mardu might have to alter its mix a little? Because it does play a lot of X1s, which make the Ballista really good against them. Yeah, I think probably, I don't think Mardu is probably really not going anywhere, uh, just given what it has to play, right? Like, how is it going to get away from Toolcraft Exemplar and Veteran Motorist? I just, 
a mix. Um, there's really a mix of creatures that are better than those two. Like those two are very strong creatures uh, in the Mardu deck and, and in the well, not motorist, but Toolcraft Exemplar gets played in that Esper kind of aggro deck too, right? So, uh, and Ballista, yeah, Ballista just completely <laughs> wrecks both of them. Uh, I, I don't know, like maybe maybe after board people are bringing in like a lot more always watchings. Like maybe that's the solution. Um, so you can kind of like just have your guys pumped up or maybe more Depaula start making it into the main deck so that you can, you know, try and get a Depaula and always watching down before they get a Ballista online and they just start like just, you know, just, you know, machine gunning down your team essentially. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, it looks like the Mardu deck is probably good against, you know, the Sahili decks and the other kind of control decks that are, or potential combo decks that are trying to dirtle around and kill someone on turn five or six. The deck is just faster than that. But I, I don't know, like, Card for card, the green-black deck just looks like it crushes Mardu um, at this point anyways. <laughs> well, I mentioned on the previous show that uh, you know Vince mentioned, well, depending on how you want to tune the, the Silly Healy decks, you can you can have both Heartness Lightning and Shock. I was joking with Rob before how for blue-white that I, like to stop the combo, I would jam all these Thalias, but Thalia just gets completely tempo-owned by Shock these days, and, and watching those games and, and seeing the just playing that turn three and then being able to kill it and most of the team with Radiant Flames. Um, man, just I didn't feel like Mardu even had a chance. The only way it had a chance was like Heart of Kirin is more resilient, but since your board's always getting wiped, it was hard for, for the player to be able to activate it. And because I think most Mardu players are only playing two copies of Gideon for curve reasons, I see it um, just having a tough time moving forward. Uh, but that's just my opinion. Uh, Vince, were there any cards that you expected to see more play, but but didn't? Yeah. Um, really, like, I still love Oath of Ajani. I think Oath of Ajani is a fantastic card, and I'm, I was really surprised to not see it, especially in the green-white tokens deck. Like, if you're going to create an archetype for Oath of Ajani, it's going to be green-white tokens with eight Planeswalkers, right? Like, that has to be the deck for this card. And there are no lists in the top 64 playing this card. I, I didn't find one anyway, which is, to me, mind-blowing. But maybe I'm just an idiot and I, like, can't figure out why this card is bad. But it, it just seems, like, so powerful for what it's doing and so versatile that, like, why isn't this in a green-white deck? Maybe it's because they're not playing Strams Expertise either. Like, I didn't see very many Strams Expertise in these green-white decks. So maybe, you, like, you're just not going wide enough to justify it. But I imagine at some point there's going to be a deck that, that leverages Oath of Johnny really well. It's just not there yet. Mm. Rob, were, were there any uh, surprises for, for your side that you were like, oh, you were, like, we nailed Sahili. We nailed a, a lot of these cards that we saw playing. Well, the green, the green black deck was close. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said I said it was going to live. Uh, it ended up completely crushing the event. Um, yeah, maybe Vince uh, Ultimate Johnny would be good if it was green black instead of green white. <laughs> It'd be sweet with Constrictor. Um, yeah, I, I guess there's uh, a pair of cards and then another card. I'm surprised didn't make any splash at all. So I really thought that someone would have figured out a reasonable rights paradox engine build. Pete for speed with the Sahili deck and it looks like nothing kind of showed up so I don't know if if it's just too complicated and no one could get there where, where they felt like this is the right configuration of cards um, you know with the time they had to test and that's the reason why I didn't show up or if it's just like the decks awful and I was completely wrong and paradox engine is not broken <laughs> it's definitely possible 
And then the other card I was surprised didn't show up was like uh, Metalwork Colossus. I thought that card was like very close to being seen like just with Kaladesh. There were some lists at the beginning of that format that looked very interesting that ended up like not having the legs to kind of carry through when Marvel Emrakul uh, and Blue White Flash were just you know dominating everybody. But I thought with another artifact set coming out um, that. You know, someone would figure out a configuration for that deck as well that, uh, you know, that could allow it to compete with the big boys. But it seems like nothing's there yet. I know I'm going to work on... Um, I, I I have a good Metalwork Colossus brew going on right now that, that I'm iterating on that, uh, that seems reasonable. So I'm going to continue down that, you know, try and find something that doesn't suck. And if I don't find anything, then I, I guess it's, uh, it's black-green all the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I just want to quickly uh, remind people uh, in the chat to uh, give the YouTube video a thumbs up if you're liking the show or if you've liked our show since the beginning. Uh, make sure to give that uh, a YouTube like. It really helps us and encourages me to, to give a little something to uh, the live viewers. So I'm just going to pick a live winner uh, from uh, – pick a winner from last week's live show, um, J Jared Gashadi, you know, be sure to uh, get in contact from me. You commented on the YouTube comments from episode nine, and you're going to win $10 of Face to Face Games cred. Uh, for those of you who want to join in, again, give the Facebook, uh, Facebook YouTube video a like and make sure to leave a comment on the YouTube video. But the YouTube video will only allow comments probably five to 10 minutes after the show, once all the show's been processed and and ready to, to be viewed. So now we're gonna move off of standard and go to what I think I think what Vince knows best is some damn good limited. Uh, we so both know limited best. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're, a, you're a GP standard champion. No, 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 that was a fluke, that was a fluke. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so Vince, uh, Vince and Rob have debated before the show about the best commons of each color. And I've actually pulled up uh, the site that I talked about last week, Draftaholics Anonymous, so that I could have a list to compare to these guys' debates to see what the popular folks think. And I think that's important for anybody looking to draft this week, tomorrow night, you know, what colors they could, should go to. So, so Vince, have you gotten more drafts under your belt and you feel a bit more confident than, than last week to talk about the format? I feel like this this format feels like super fun i've actually only drafted it once but i feel like like i think a lot about drafting so i don't actually need to draft that much to have very unsubstantiated and, and bold opinions about cards so i'm i'm ready to to brawl on this topic big time <laughs> ready to let loose yeah. Vince is unhinged. i'm excited about this topic <laughs> um yeah this is gonna be fun all right so so Vince, let's start with white Let's just okay. start with white. What's your, what's your favorite <laughs> white common format? Which are people who are looking as like they're, oh, to go to this color once they've seen they have a crap rare and crap in commons? So <laughs> it's funny you, you framed it that way because my answer is totally not what you would expect for that. But uh, my my pick for the best white common that actually isn't technically a white card is Aegis Automaton. And people are going to be thinking, like, man, you are so stupid. Like, how could you possibly think this is the best white card? But when when you realize what the white decks are trying to do in this format, Aegis Automaton answers that question so perfectly. Like, 
it gives you a good body for the early game to to get to where you want to be, sort of triggering your revolts, getting getting your your revolt chains going. Um, the effect is so underrated. Like, I had two of these in my first draft deck, and once I had this card in play and five mana, I, it was impossible for me to lose. Like, I'm not exaggerating. I, there was no way I could lose the game. It was, I had, I mean, my deck was very good, but even still, if you have two or three good revolt cards, you just start chaining value to a point where in limited, your opponent will not be able to catch up. Um, the card just does so much for these decks. And there's so many good commons in white and in the associated, like like in the white-green deck, even in the white-blue deck, the white-black deck, that have good come-into-play effects that you want to abuse. And this card makes it so easy for you to do that and get to a point in the game where you can do that. So I like my Aegis Automaton, and I'm hoping to pick them up maybe later than than some of the other first pickable uh, commons, but it's so important for these decks, and I think it's going to be underrated for the entirety of this limited format. <laughs> I'm waiting for Rob to jump in here and slay, slay this. I, I don't even... I'm speechless. I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll start by saying that I think your card's not the worst white card. <laughs> that's that's probably true. I mean, but I, I think it's pretty obvious, and I, I would find many... I, I would be surprised if many more people disagreed with me uh, than you about this, that Caught in the Bright, it's just, like, it's down the best white common. Um, for three, which is a little bit overpriced, but if you have a vehicle, which you tend to do in Kaladesh Limited, then, you know, you can exile it. So uh, I've seen and, and experienced very common play patterns where you just um, put Caught in the Brights on them, suit up whatever random vehicle you have, and just jam and exile it, and it's like three mana exile target creature, which uh, is pretty good, even if it's at sorcery speed, apparently. Um, I, I just, man, I, I think I would take, if I was, like, there's no caught, caught in the brights in the pack, I decided I'm going white, I would be very hard-pressed to not take the 2-2 revolt that makes a 1-1 over the first Aegis uh, that I see. Um, I mean, I want Aegis in my revolt decks, don't get me wrong. I'm just, like, taking so many cards above it. Um, and I think... If, if that strategy where you're just drilling around, spending eight mana to draw a card every turn uh, becomes a real thing in the format going forward, you're going to see a lot of uh, shift in how people build their main decks. So that's, I mean, if you think it's real great, you should get in now while people are, are, not, <laughs> are not just prey uponing it as soon as they see it. But <laughs> I don't think there's too much time for that. That's what we're here Live for. the dream while you can, Vince. That's <laughs> the dream what we're while here you can. For. We're here to give people that advice while they can abuse it before everyone else catches on. All right? Card is great. Okay, wait, see, what's the, what's the most big call? Uh, you already know? It's, please tell me it's Aegis. I'll, okay. I'll die. Uh, Vince, uh, what, we're, you're saying, like, of course, it, it feels like I'm playing, like, fantasy sports draft where you're hoping to draft, like, this, like, player that no one wants uh, later in the rounds. Exactly. Um, can, you, can you explain to me... Um, Repeat to me again where you're hoping to draft this card. Yeah, so again, this question wasn't what is the best first pick white card. It's what is the best white card, right? I think he said 14th KYT. He was looking for it to come last. No, I'm, <laughs> no, no, I, miss, I'm I misheard. I misheard. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I'm probably <laughs> drafting it somewhere in the 5 to 7 range. With that being said, I still think it's fundamentally important for the white decks. And if you don't get it, your deck is 
much worse than it otherwise would be. Okay. So good news for, for Vince uh, if he's uh, truly believing in this card because it's actually uh, one of the lowest rated cards uh, by the site. So get in while it's cold as ice. And we obviously have um, the card that uh, Rob mentioned at number one, the obvious uh, arrest pacifism type effect is, is naturally going to be at the top. But it was surprising for me to see what uh, these guys had as number two and three. Uh, number three, well, not really, is what Rob mentioned. It's the 2-2 two -two, uh, that, that makes a 1-1 one -one revolt. But the second place, they gave it to Dawn Feather Eagle, which is the 3-3 three -three flyer for five mana, four colors, and one white. When the eagle enters battlefield, creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain vigilance until end of turn. Does that make sense to you at all, Rob? Yeah, I think that's exactly correct. The, the, the eagle actually, when I first looked at it, I was like, I thought it was maybe as good or slightly better than Inspiring Captain. So it's like not a card you want, but if you were going to play like an Inspiring Charge, then you definitely, you know, you can jam one in your deck. But it's actually just a lot better than that. Plus one plus one in Vigilance is is a very underrated uh, combination of abilities. And leaving back the 3-3 three, three Flyer is definitely worth it. And then with a bunch of random ways to kind of blink your you know, blink your eagle and get value out of it later or return to your hand and cast it again. Uh, it definitely it puts a lot of pressure on your opponent. It makes for annoying. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely am higher on the card than at first blush, and I, I agree that it's probably the second best white common. Ooh. Okay. Consensus, uh, Vince. We, we all agree on this? Totally, because it's fantastic with Aegis Automaton. You can't, <laughs> you can't say it's the second best white no, 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 no. But second so best white breaks yet. <laughs> It's number three. It's number three. It's a solid thing. Okay. Uh, moving straight, uh, Rob, I'll start with you for, for a discussion of blue. Um, but in addition to, to your pick, I'd like you to comment on the fact that when I scrolled this site, I had to scroll pretty deep in order to get two blue comments. So is it, once again, like a really weak color? Or, yeah, it just so far, it just seems to be really weak. I had to go pretty far down to get to uh, – Eight, like Aether Swooper, the one-two that that makes a one-one, and I'm not even sure that's that insane compared to like the best comments of these other guys, other colors. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, blue, <laughs> blue definitely sucks again. <laughs> he drew, drew the short straw two sets in a row, so maybe maybe when they were designing Kaladesh, they came out of it and they're like, oh damn, blue sucks. And then when they were designing Aether Revolt, someone was like, oh maybe we should fix blue, and they're like, no, it sucks so bad from Kaladesh, like. Just let it suck, and then you know we'll we'll fix it in the next block. So um, I'm, I'm putting my stance down right now that blue is going to be the best color in Amonkhet, and it's going to be not close. Um, but everything else should be completely unplayable by the, the savage beating that blue's gotten over the last two uh, two sets here. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I think there's the blue commons are just awful. Like they have two commons that are counter spells. There's negate, which is super conditional, and given that the blue cards are all you know all suck. It's not really like a card that you want to play, right? Like, what are you protecting? It's not like you're playing a tempo strategy where you're like kind of filling up the board with some flyers and then you're like, you know, trying to make sure they're not interacting with you in a positive way for them. So you play Negate to, to stop that or you're like, you know, tronning up some guy or whatever. Those strategies just don't exist. So I think Negate's like not great. I mean, it hits vehicles, but it doesn't seem to be worth playing anyways. And then you have Rebuke, which is like reasonable, but... It's still like not great, right? Like you just don't want those cards in your deck usually. 
um, to start, and you want to bring them in if they have like a five mana or six mana card that you really can't beat otherwise. Like you'll play it in a deck where you didn't get a lot of removal in the draft. You're like, okay, well, I got to main deck counter spells because I need to be able to interact with bombs or whatever. But and its removal also just sucks. Like ice over sucks. The tap a guy for a turn sucks. The bounce spell sucks. Their other creatures suck. It's just awful. So my pick for blue is to don't pick a blue common. No, I mean, I think I would take the Drake. I think the Drake's probably the best blue common. I think the card's actually pretty good. Three mana, two, three flyer that can block uh, bears is very good for blue. I mean, it can't block artifacts, but a lot of the artifacts are either like completely irrelevant or um, <laughs> larger than it anyway. So it's not, I don't think it's a really big deal. I think you, you get you just, it's a lot of value for, um, for that three mana. It blocks Windrake and the other white Windrake. So um, yeah, that's my pick. All right. I'm, I'm hoping Vince has another uh, under-the-radar pick, but I'm not sure he's going to have one for every color. Uh, <laughs> Vince, what's your pick? For, no, for we'll, we'll go tame with this one. I, I can't I can't really justify any of the other awful blue comments. <laughs> I, I think Aether Sweeper is uh, going to take the cake here as the best blue common. It's just so versatile, right? Like It slots really well into the, the blue-green base energy decks we saw in Kaladesh. It's really good with Improvise. Making those servos in blue decks is, is difficult at, in the early game. Um, so this gives you a really good way to to um, to get those servos going, um, to to fuel your your bigger your bigger boys at the top end of the curve, and it's also just like relatively efficiently costed. I mean, again, we're talking about blue commons, so we have to be a little bit more realistic with what we get out of a two mana creature. But it's evasive, and it can develop a, a reasonably strong army with some help. So I think it's it's slightly better than the three drop. The other reason why is you get so many three drops in these blue decks. Like, you, you can't really justify playing, like, all of these different three drops that are all pretty middling. So I like the idea of having a reasonably good two drop in blue that's a, a creature that you're going to want to play on turn two every time. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm going to say it. They're super. All right. Um, the public, like, the people who use this site had, had actually had... Uh, Bastion Inventor as their number two. Uh, are you surprised by this, Vince? This is the four-four improvised hexproof for six. Do you do you see this uh, possibly being the second best? Probably. I mean, only by virtue of the fact that everything else is awful. But I I don't think that's the best blue common. I mean, you're hoping it's going to what cost four on turn four. That's like the dream. And good luck. Like, show me your, your limited decks that are casting this on turn four regularly, and I'll be really impressed with you. So. You think the Hexproof is better than the than the two three though, than the Drake? Yeah, the Drake doesn't do anything. It's just a dirtily two three flyer that you like feel bad about. Hey, Wing Drake used to be great, and this card is. Much yeah, better. now it's not. <laughs> strict, strict upgrade. You don't have to worry about blocking, and it's harder to kill. Okay, um, Vince, well, we'll start black with you. I think black, it's pretty obvious what the blessed black common, not much to debate, right? Yeah, it's its pretty obviously that three mana spell that gives your creature indestructible and makes it one one. No, it's <laughs> definitely the, the sorcery speed. I think it's called Daring Demolition, destroy a creature or a vehicle. I mean, this is probably the best common in the set, I would imagine. I, I don't know. It's Yeah, it's got to be the best common in the set, but... It's it, it does everything you want it to do. Like one of the struggles with a lot of limited decks is trying to find a way to deal with vehicles when they're not crewed. And this is a great way to just be like, okay, I cannot deal with this card right now. I have now I have an answer that can deal with it before like I don't have to wait at instant speed or do any trickery. Just jam in my four mana, get get that uh renegade freighter out of here. I don't wanna I don't wanna look at it anymore. It's great. 
Very versatile. <laughs> Not much to talk about, Rob. Yeah, I got I got nothing for daring demolition. I mean, like it's just so obviously uh, a good removal spell. Um, it's well costed. I think actually a, a four mana sorcery removal spell that kills basically any attacking permanent uh, should be kind of a mainstay of of limited going forward. I, I think they finally found a sweet spot for that. So I, I like that card and has to find uh, kind of a. A more catch-all removal spell at common these days, so... Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to see the creature that's better than a four-mana <laughs> sorcery speed removal spell. That creature <laughs> at common's going to be bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely the best uh, black common, and uh, following that up, according to the lovely folks that, that use that alcoholic site, we've got Aether Poisoner at, in second place. That's the 1-1 Death Toucher. And we've got Cruel Finality, which is the minus two, minus two, three uh, mana. You scry one, two colors, one black. That all makes sense, I, I think, with you guys, Vince? Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. I, th I think it kind of goes to show how not deep black is as well, though. Like, I think Cruel Finality is not a very strong card. And showing that that's the third best black common is voted by these people is... Not a great sign for the depth of black in Aether Revolt. That being said, Aether Poisoners is great. Like, that card is really good. That card's better than Aether Swooper, and it's not the best black common. So, at least black has something to, to, to talk about over blue. <laughs> yeah, I, I just had uh, played my first casual sealed with, with my friend uh, this past weekend. We just cracked open, like, fat packs and, and built. I just had a bunch of... Uh, like all, my main color that I had the most cards in was blue, and I had all these ether swoopers, but nothing to really take advantage of, of uh, the improvise. So it just felt like so garbage, and just kept losing because because my friend had Nissa almost every every game, so I, I couldn't deal with that. I was like, attack Nissa for one, like I couldn't couldn't do anything. Yeah, um, Aether Super doesn't slot up very well against Nissa. <laughs> As most commons in this format, I'm telling you. But yeah, agreed, agreed. I agree with that. Nissa is a pain. Yeah. <laughs> I had to side in my negates. Uh, well, actually, I had the main deck them against them. Two of them, just to be able to stop Nissa. Uh, let's move on to Red. I thought Red was the one where I, I saw the most of in, in the top uh, portion of, of this list. Um, Rob, are you excited about Red in general? It seems to be common wise uh, the color you want to be in yeah it's got some pretty sweet uh cards i think it's it's not like uh, insanely deep but the cards are all at least reasonably playable which you can't say for both black and blue at least and even even white has a little bit of chaff going on in the in the later picks so i'm playing sealed i thought that the set was going to be deeper than it was. It just looked like, oh, the seal pool, like there's lots of different stuff you can do here. It seems like most of these cards are playable. Well, then when you draft, you kind of look at the packs and it's like, yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe it's not as deep as I thought. But I mean, you, you can build some stuff. So uh, I'm excited about red. I, I don't know if it's the, I wouldn't say it's the best color. I still think green is the best color. But I think um, red might be the color of my favorite archetype going forward. If it continues to stay open. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. We'll talk about that archetype a bit later. Is it an underrated archetype? <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's it's uh, underrated, under the radar, and probably not discovered yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Uh, so the list I have uh, in front of me, uh, according to Draftaholics, is Shock, Chandra's Revolution, Aether Chaser, and Sweatworks Brawler. What do you think about that list? Yeah, so I actually, um, I mean, I think those four cards are all great. I mean, I would definitely, if I was in red and there was only one of them in the back and there was, like, no good uncommons and rares, I would definitely be very happy to pick any of those cards. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here like Vince did with white and say that uh, I actually think that Sweatworks Brawler is going to appear as the best red common going forward. I think that the improvised mechanic is very strong. Uh, and being able to play a two or three mana three three menace is currently very underrated. Like if it was, it's almost always a three three uh, menace for three, which is very good. Like if you look at what red normally gets, it's a three three must attack every turn unconditionally. So this is now a three three that for three that could be that could even cost less. That instead of having to attack every turn, has to be blocked by at least two creatures. Um, that just allows you to do a lot of very good damage. And the stupid thing is an artificer. So, like, you can have sequences where you're just, you actually want inspiring goggles. So, you can just open up with turn, turn one goggles, you know, play some random artifact on turn two, and then just, you know, jam this guy for, you know, if you have another two drop artifact, you're kind of living the dream. You play like an eager construct on turn three, tap your three artifacts, and then jam a sweatworks brawler and equip the goggles right to it. And you just have like a four or five menace on turn three. Uh, along with a 2-2 and maybe, you know, like the the other guy with First Strike or something, right? So I think Red produces probably the, like some very powerful curves that are very difficult to deal with, um, backed by uh, some very cheap and efficient removal that gets to interact uh, easily with the early game. Um, but I think uh, if I see those cards, I'm, I'm looking to take the Brawler. I think it just it interacts with the format well. The format's all about attacking, and it's very difficult with vehicles in people's deck for them to actually leave back two blockers. So... Um, yeah, I just want to be slamming for three. Bolt, bolt, bolt. Hmm, nice, nice, nice. Vince, what, what do you think about this list? And uh, Rob's so, number one. Rob's obviously crazy this time. Like, it's it's very clearly Shock is the best red common. That's Usually when they print a one-mana red instant that deals damage to a creature, it's probably going to be the best common for red. And in this case, it is. Um, I think a lot of what Rob said about that four-mana, three-three menace is reasonable to some extent. Downside is that I have to fill my deck with a bunch of garbage one-mana artifacts, which I don't really want to be doing. So I'd rather just play a deck that has good removal and then reasonably costly creatures like that three-mana 3-3 three, three that has to attack each turn. I'd rather kill their guy and play that than play a bunch of dirtily goggles and then try to jam a two-mana 3-3 three, three and hope for the best. So yeah, uh, I think it's not very close that Shock is the best red common here. <laughs> do, you have, do you have the the revolution as a second in second? Yep. I actually, the one card on that list that I think is a little bit overvalued is that 2-1 First Strike. I think a lot of people feel like that card gets in really easily, and the reality is that every color actually has a, maybe with the exception of black, has a pretty reasonable common card that actually blocks it well, right? Like, blue has the flyer that Rob likes, white has my favorite card, the 0-3 for 2, um... <laughs> <laughs> Green has the Leopard, which we can talk about later. Like, there's really good blockers for this card. And uh, it's it's not as good as it looks on paper, because the card looks great. But I think that Poisoner is better in terms of that cycle. So I think that card might be slightly overvalued in people's minds. Hmm. Okay. Sweet. Let's jump into green. Green was also one of the colors that I felt was really deep going uh, through this list. And the list by these guys, we'll start with you, Vince, and analyzing this list. 
They, they, they went with Prey Upon as their number one, Druid of the Cowl, which is the uh, Mana Dork, as their number two, the Aether Storm Leopard as their number three, Lifecraft Cavalry number four, and Scrounging Bandar as their number five, which is not, not the same at all as uh, what you guys had in our pre-show notes. We're going to get wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> so, so our list was almost reversed, and I think... Yeah, I think it might have been almost completely reversed in my in my list anyway. How could they possibly think Prey Upon is the best green common? Uh, that's weird. I don't agree with that. I could be incredibly wrong, but yeah, green is ludicrously deep again, and I'm not really sure. I, like Rob was kind of alluding to this earlier with blue, like it seems like they just looked at what was going on with Kaladesh and were just like, let's ramp it up, let's just double it down. So green gets seven good commons that are like, like I would say. Maybe the, the yeah, the top seven green commons are probably as good as the second best common in every other color. Like green is so ludicrously deep in Aether Evolved. The cards might not be as good as the ones in Kaladesh, but they're still so good. Um, I'm not really sure why they did that. The fact that Prey Upon isn't in my mind the best green common says a lot about how deep green is. I actually I, I kind of have a weird best green common. I, I think the cat is insane. This is me going back to how nuts I think Revolt is as a mechanic. Um, having a, a 2 2 for 2 that allows you to trigger Revolt on whatever turn you choose to do it, it's, it's so much versatility and it's it's got like insane value in some of these decks. Like, I don't know if uh, people played with this uncommon green white card, The I think it's called Renegade Rallier. It's a 3 2 that lets you rebuy a permanent that costs two or less. Card's really good with the cat, like really good, because you basically get two free counters on a guy, and you get to you get to try it again. Um, there's a <laughs> lot of other really good cards that that slot up with this. Um, just playing an evasive creature, if you're playing like green blue, or maybe you're playing green red, and you have that first strike aether chaser, that's a way to to get him in. He just does so much for these decks and uh, super versatile. So that's my pick for number one green common. I'm jamming that hard. Okay, but you also you also left. Uh, okay, maybe it's Rob's card. Someone put in Bridled Growth as as their main. Baby that is card. Rob's card. Yeah. Okay, Rob. <laughs> Obviously, going out on a limb here. So I mean, uh, in Kaladesh, it got to the point where like um, a Tomb with Aether and Prophetic Prism were almost the most highly picked commons. Uh, over everything and you came out almost always with like if you first pick a prophetic prism out of a pack with weak uncommons you almost always came out with a reasonable deck so it's like a very safe choice same with the two with aether like you know when you pick that card it's like okay it can be a lot of different base green decks green super deep so i know that almost always i can be green if i want to um and now i get to kind of play a bunch of very good gold cards because they definitely didn't skimp out on the power level of the gold cards. <laughs> they're very good, and there's some uncommons that are very good too. And Kaladesh still has, uh, you know, lots of uh, very good cards uh, from that set that are worth splashing for, right? So um, I, I kind of want to continue that trend and pick Unbridled Growth as my what's going to be my top green common going forward. I just think that. If you're playing a green deck, you definitely want to be in the revolt strategy. I think that's the strongest uh, green strategy. It looks like, and being paired with green white seems to be, uh, you know, the best pairing for it. And the deck seems 
very, very powerful. You can do some very interesting things. But if you don't have free ways to generate revolt, your early game is very lackluster, and I think that's how you actually can lose against um, you know aggressive red-based decks that are kind of sweatwork sprawler shock type decks, right? So I don't know. Like I, I don't think there's very many openings. Uh, like on turn one that I want more than just playing Unbridled Growth on my forest. It means that my mana is going to be fixed. It means that if I get a Revolt card, um, I can trigger it, you know, whenever I want. And it's it's technically free, right? Like you're paying one mana to cycle, uh, which is good. And the, it's not like the card's useless, right? Fixing your mana is not useless, especially in the early game. And triggering Revolt's not useless either. So um, I definitely think that's better than Prey Upon. I think it's pretty close with Vince's uh, two-drop. I just like to leave my... I value splashing um, and, and being open to splashing over um, kind of like trying to go all in on a strategy uh, immediately. Like Nylea's presence was a very high pick for me uh, in, in Theros drafts, and I played a lot of three, four, five color uh, in that format to uh, to good success. I think Prey Upon's actually like just pretty bad <laughs> altogether. There's like lots of tricks in this format. There's um, reasonable instant speed removal. Um, and there's lots of two threes. Like it doesn't, you know, it's like lots of two threes and lots of three twos. These are like cards you do not want to fight with. When green had four mana four fours, um, you know, at common or uncommon, then Prey Upon's like very good, right? Because you could just like kill anything in any other color like almost all the way up to five mana uh and that seems you know that seems great but you don't really you can't really do that you need to wait till like turn five or six in which case like you probably have a bunch of spare mana anyways and hunt the week would just be you know much better plus there's plus one plus one counter synergy so yeah i think uh i think prey upon is going to start dipping um but i definitely do like uh i do like the bandar i think the bandar is very good but uh i value the fixing higher I'm I'm sad that the chat didn't call out KYT for calling the leopard a leopard, but <laughs> maybe, they'll pay, maybe they'll pay more attention later. <laughs> oh, got me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I just feel I, I can see where uh, the public might be wrong on this, seeing as how you know, we're always told to, to value removal really highly and prey upon has been really good. Basically the best green common and, or arguably one of the best green commons in previous sets, but you guys have both uh, given your arguments as to why it probably isn't that good in this format that might drop. So it's kind of cool to, to see you guys have these different takes and both of you, the under the radar picks that you both like is like this revolt, like just because they, they allow for that mechanic to trigger more. Now let's just go straight. And now that we're done all the colors, actually we forgot artifacts. Are there any uh, cool ones, common-wise, that you guys are looking to pick up, uh, Vince? I think the only artifact at common that really stands out for me is Renegade Map. I mean, <laughs> there's this weird theme that I have going on that I really like revolt, so... Ways to trigger revolt that don't require me to play bad cards is where I want to be in this format. And Renegade Map kind of... To me, I see Renegade Map as uh, like a, an attune with Aether for the revolt decks. So you're playing attune with Aether because it was a way to cheat a land and still get energy for the energy decks. Map is a way to cheat a land and, and have revolt triggers for the revolt decks. So um, that's what I like about Map. I don't think it's actually that great. Like, I'm not going to be trying to pick it early, but... I do think that's probably of all of the common artifacts, one that I'm 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 interested in drafting in, in a lot of my decks. Oh, I wonder I wonder if Rob races highly because uh, it fulfills almost it, it's like the green card that you love in a way. Yeah, the map's insane. <laughs> 
Um, I, I mean, it's very similar. So, <laughs> I, I think I think that there are two very strong archetypes, at least in the early developing stages of, the, of this uh, limited metagame. There's Revolt decks, which are like uh, based in white and green and can like you know spread out quite quite far. Actually, like I've had an Esper Revolt deck. I've seen very good green white. Revolt decks. I've played green-white Revolt decks to good success. Um, and then improvised decks. And the map goes in both of those decks very, uh, very well, right? So um, I, I've actually been picking the map extremely highly. Um, I've picked it, like, somewhere between third and fifth. So, like, uh, not quite as high as I would pick Prophetic Prism, but, like, almost as high. And it it's probably not as good um, if it was in Kaladesh, but considering it has you know, good synergy with Revolt, you're, like, very wide open to do interesting things with your deck uh, if you have it, right? So you can go down an improvised path, which uh, has a bunch of different angles um, that you can go down, and you can go down a bunch of different uh, Revolt paths. And it lets you splash, you know, again, powerful uncommon cards uh, that are in both sets, right? So um, I, I think I like the map um, over a lot, like, over all of the blue comments, <laughs> for starters. <laughs> Rob, do you like the it's map the, more than any any of the green commons? Like, do you like it better than Unbridled Growth? Uh, so, I mean, if, if there was, like, a pack of nothing, like, none of the cards that we listed are good and the uncommons and rares are bad, and it was between Unbridled Growth and map, one pack one and the pack's kind of dead, I would probably start with the map than the Unbridled Growth. But if I'm in green, I'm obviously taking the un, Unbridled Growth. It's, it's you know, it's, uh, like, getting a random card is better than getting a land. Um, and you get to activate it the turn it comes into play instead of activating the turn after. Um, it doesn't guarantee that you're hitting your land drops, but it's close. I don't know. I, I think Umbridal Growth is, is better if you're playing Forest, but if you don't know you're playing Forest yet, then uh, I would take the map. Map's going to be sweet. You're going to see map. You, you're going to get those maps high. You're not going to see the map wheel. If you okay. see the map wheel, then your your deck's going to be sick. <laughs> like, real sick. Fair enough. He's gonna he's gonna get all the maps and all the automatons, so he's gonna have this huge edge in the first couple of drafts here. <laughs> I, I think. Um, Rob, you, you, you mentioned archetypes, so what should people be looking to draft? What what are some of the more synergistic or or powerful decks that that you think uh, make up this format? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll let Vince talk about the the revolt decks since uh, he's had experience drafting it. I, I have as well, but. Um, I think uh, I stumbled upon a deck early by accident <laughs> uh, just because of the way that my draft shaped up. I drafted a blue-red improvised deck, and I was actually able to scale the deck down to 15 lands. I was playing two Renegade maps, an Inventor's Goggles, and three red implements as my one-mana mana rocks. <laughs> and I had, like, two or three Sweatwork Brawlers, um, the blue-blue improvised card, that, or blue-blue three that lets you draw three cards, the 4-3 Flyer, the 4-4 Haste, and uh, some other card that uh, kind of escapes me at this point, with like a very low curve and, and some uh, just a couple of pieces of interesting removal and a, a combat trick or two. And the deck was just very good. I easily 3-0'd. I didn't drop a game. Um, the deck's curve up potential was just so insane. And there's like just a bunch of random artificers. So I, I made a bunch of bad picks in the draft because like there was there was points where I could have taken another red implement and I just like kind of let it go by me and like hate drafted uh, a white card or whatever because I was like, oh, I'm just gonna play this red implement. But I mean, I, I probably could have got the deck down to like 13 or 14 land 
Um, and that would have been very reminiscent of the good old days of Theros, uh, red, white, like a crowing crusader dragon mantle, which was just like actually living the dream and playing 11 or 12 lands <laughs> in a 40 card deck that never gets mana screwed and has like just insane velocity. So, um, yeah, it was pretty sweet. And I picked up a, an ATOG in that deck, which, which also worked very well, uh, with the implements in the map and made blocking very awkward for my opponent. And I didn't really lose any value, uh, on that. So I, I think that, um, I, I like finding decks like this where, you know, the good cards in the deck are normal good cards. You, you know, you have to take them highly, like Sweatworks Brawler, the 4-3 Flyer Uncommon, like your removal spells, etc. But, like, the, the engine in the deck is actually, like, no one wants it. So you'll get it on the wheel, right? Um, and uh, it just it allows you to kind of have a high consistency of, of, um, of like, kind of doing it in your strategy, so to, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, like, if both, if two players in the pod are, are on to that, that archetype, then you're both screwed. But I think that if you notice it's open, um, the, the deck's definitely very good. It has some very, very, very insane draws. Man, I, I mean, I'm looking at the list just, just to see where the cards rank, and they're pretty, like, some of the key cards you mentioned are pretty damn low on the list, like Ravenous Intruder, which is the ATOG, and, of course, the red implement, implement of Combustion is way, way, at almost the very bottom. It's below the Automaton. It's below even the Automaton. Uh, can, can you just repeat just for our listeners one more time, like the, the key cards they're looking to, to get in this? The Red Renegade, so like the ATOG, if it wheels, like obviously it's going to wheel until the very end, I guess. Yeah, like so, so you want like the map, uh, the, the, the red implement. Those two cards are, are important. Like you need to take the map early, but you can get the implement on the wheel. Um, and then you just want to take like Sweatworks, Brawler, and the other, like anything that says improvise on it. Like all of the cards are, are good when they when, like, you're getting a cost reduction by, like, two or three on them, right? Like, even the five mana three three is, is fine. Like, I, I actually didn't take them incorrectly and was playing some cards that, you know, I, I didn't really want to play. Like, I just wish I had more improvised cards in the deck, especially ones that are artifacts. Just lets you have turns where you're kind of, like, affinitying out, right, and just, like, dumping your hand um, and, and going very wide. And the fact that, like, your cards have menace is also you know, very good because then when you're going wide, it makes it very difficult for them to block. Um, and you can play like a couple bounce spells or something just to kind of get your guys through and make it awkward for them. So, so yeah, I mean, anything with improvise is like a high pick and then like any one mana artifact you can, that you can sacrifice for value is good. And if you get like some ATOGs or like the three mana two, three, where you can like sack an artifact to, uh, to do two damage to a player, then you can just start playing kind of like any implement or like that bad cog workers puzzle knot. That's like a, a one one, but if it goes to your graveyard, you could, and then you get the other one one. Then you can start getting value like that, and then the two three gives you some reach at the end, right? So you can do the last, you know, four to six points of damage pretty easily while still generating, you know, some board presence and uh, and value that way. So yeah, I think like you know most of the cards are like pretty bad. And you should be able to get them all on the wheel um, and crush people. So I don't know, do it now while the strategy is not known. <laughs> you, you can get like the, the real sick You have to pair with blue, or can you pair with another color? I think you you don't have to pair it with blue, but I think the four four hex proof bot guy is uh, very good, um, and I think that uh, the uncommons in blue are very good. Like if they happen to come by, so like the blue blue three draw three cards. That card was very good. I had that. I also had the four three flyer <laughs> card. That was very good. I cast that for four on turn four uh, one game. It was just like it's also an artificer if you didn't notice. So it was actually a five five flyer. So like. A four mana dragon <laughs> with like no upkeep, no downside, <laughs> just smash. Uh, um, 
So yeah, that, that was pretty sweet. But I, I don't think you need to. I think it's fine to like, um, and then pick up like Cogworkers, Puzzle Knots, and Glint Sleeve Artisans and stuff like that. Um, and still have a, a very good deck there. Uh, I mean, the red cards are really the stuff you want. Um, if you get the blue, good blue and commons, it's fine to be there, but it's also fine to be in white. Uh, Vince, is this a, have you run across this archetype yourself, playing against it or, or trying it for, for yourself? Well, so Rob and I did our first draft together at the same store, and we were both put in different pods, and we both won our respective pods. And then I decided, I said to Rob, maybe we should play our decks against each other. I, I drafted a revolt deck. Rob drafted this abomination of random bad one-drop artifacts, and I was like, okay, there's no way I can lose. And uh, we played our decks, and I face-rolled them. So, well, it wasn't him playing, but I imagine... It wasn't me Rob, playing the deck. Rob still would have <laughs> lost. There's no way he would have won. Because the way draft works is if you continually draft bad cards, your deck isn't very good. And that was sort of the problem with Rob's strategy. Um, I think it's great if it works out, and you have, like, seven improvised cards, and they're all great, and you have the critical mass of artifacts you need, but so much more often than not, you end up in situations where you're going to have a hand that's like four lands, two implements, and an inventor's goggles, and you're like, how do I ever win with this hand? Like, what does this do? Or you have a hand that's like three lands, uh, two bastion inventors, and a five-mana draw three cards. And you're like, this hand also does nothing. I just lose. Whoa, so whoa, I Vince, 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 before you get too excited. What's sure. the hand with the three one-drops and four lands? You play... The implement. Then you untap. You play the goggles and the implement. You untap, and then you cast a, a three mana five five flyer. You just kill them. I'm glad you top deck that, or else we automatically lost the game. Anyway, so when I draft decks, what I try to look for is cards that don't need a lot of help to be good, which is why I really like Revolt. You can draft a lot of cards that individually work, and then happen to synergize really well with each other. And I think the white green Revolt deck does that incredibly well. Like the creatures are great at common. You have the, the spider that can draw a card with Revolt, the 2-2 two -two that can make a 1-1. One -one. You have my favorite, Aegis Automaton. Like, your deck has a great curve. It's got reasonable creatures. You never feel like you're looking at a hand of cards and going, what did I just draft? And you actually have a very good, strong late-game strategy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the deck that I had when I did a, this, when I tried to uh, test this, this archetype out was obviously above the... <laughs> the power level of an average revolt deck. I think I had like six rares or something absurd and like really good uncommons. Like the deck was obscene, but I still think the deck has a lot of, of uh, inherent power level at the common level, which is what I look for in an archetype. I want depth at common because if you don't have that, you're going to end up in situations where like Rob's deck, you need specific uncommons for the deck to be good. Like the poor four trample haze, the draw three card guy, um, the the Bastion Inventor, whatever you call it. That's not uh, an uncommon. The, uh, what's the, the green, the, the white, or the blue uncommon? Oh, the Flyer. The 4-3 Flyer, yeah. Yeah, the Dragon. Yeah, these are the kind of things. I'm, I don't want to build decks around cards like that, because if you don't get them, your deck just sucks. So I like, I like Green-White Revolt in this format a lot. And I think it's deep enough that you can pretty comfortably go into it and not feel like if someone else is in it, you're screwed. Uh, so Vince, are you... For this deck to, to really be at its best, are you playing a lot of these like maps and bridal groves, a lot of the cat monkey that you like, um, obviously the automaton. So, so you, you make sure that your deck has X amount of these type of cards that trigger revolt? Yeah, I, and the thing is I don't, like, I really, a bridal growth is actually a pretty good one for the deck because it, it fits on the curve. I don't really want to be playing the, the do-nothing revolt enablers like these implements. I'd rather be playing things like the cat, 
uh, the two two cat and the O three. The nice thing about the O three is it allows you to play your cards without revolt on curve and not feel bad about it. A lot of times, like you'll be looking at your hand, and you'll have a spider, and you're like, "Do I play this right now and not draw a card?" You're like, oh yeah, it's fine. I still have my O three, so. I'm going to play it on curve, and then late game, if we get there, I'm drawing a card every turn, or I'm gaining five life every turn with the 4-3 flyer. So, yeah, the the kind of revolt enablers I'm looking for are ones that don't make you sort of change what you want to do in terms of curving out. Hmm. I need to defend myself here for a second. <laughs> no, we're, we're moving on. We're, I'm kidding. Go, go. Absolutely not. So... Everyone keeps saying do nothing, one man artifacts. So for starters, I'm just going to defend how not completely awful the implements are, right? They're one mana, and then you can pay one mana to sack them, draw a card, and it does something very marginal. So their one does a damage, which you actually do want to do in red decks. <laughs> it's not nothing doing a damage, right? It, it does something because it's a, for a free card. So... Um, you do get you do get value that way, and it's you know you, you would pay cycle. That sometimes that's okay. So those two things together are not good enough, right? They do not make the card playable. If you're like short, you're at twenty two playables, like your draft went awry. You thought you were green white, you ended up green red or something, and you have it yet. Yeah, okay, you know you can play it as your twenty third, um, even though like it has no synergy with your deck, whatever. That that's fine. Okay, cool, but um, in these in, in the improvised decks, it actually kind of counts like a land. So, yes, I played three of them, but I played 15 land. And if I would have drafted better, like if I would have known about this archetype more and, and what cards were key in it before going into the draft, I would have actually been able to have a 13 or 14 land deck, in which case, like, they're literally replacing a land, a land slot at almost zero impact to your deck. So um, in, my, in my version, I was playing three, so it's like yeah, I was playing an 18 you know, I, I was shaving two cards, right? So two lands I would have normally had. But this deck might have actually, like, if it wasn't improvised deck, it had a bunch of six drops, a whole bunch of five drops, and, like, a, just a slew of four drops. So um, I would have probably played 18 lands, in which case, like, all of them are technically free. So it's like a land you pay one mana for that ramps you, possibly, that you can cash in later if you pay a mana, do it to him to your opponent, and draw a card. So it's it's definitely, like, you need to really think and understand about the things you say <laughs> to get what's going on here, but it's not as bad as it, it's definitely not as bad as people think. I mean, it's not as good uh, at face value as maybe I'm making out to be, but you need to play it if you want to play this deck. And I agree with you that um, I'm not looking to be in the niche strategy. Definitely want to know how to draft them because sometimes, um, you know, you get weird packs where it's like, Okay, there's nothing going on here but a bad improvised card. I see a red implement. I haven't seen anything to indicate, like, for me to indicate that I'm going to be able to have a normal deck, like a good green-white deck or a black-green deck or, or whatever. So it's like I'm looking at the pack of, like, what can I take here and then wheel out of this pack to ensure that I can keep getting playables. And so, like, I definitely want to have that in my back pocket for when it's right to do. I'm, like, going into every draft forcing blue-red improvise. Obviously, that's completely insane. <laughs> <laughs> so just real I'm just gonna say one thing and then we'll leave it. The only thing I actually the only thing I actually agreed with you there was your point about you do need to know how to how to how to salvage a train wreck. That's really important in drafting. 100 percent agree with you. And maybe this is the deck to salvage a train wreck, but salvaging a train wreck is never where you want to start. 
yeah, I agree. Good. I agree. Okay. Salvaging a train wreck can put me to the top eight of Montreal, though. So yeah. anyone wants to check back on the train that wreck. Was a real train wreck. <laughs> you are the train wreck master. That's for sure. It can. <laughs> I, I kind of like the strategy, Rob. If everyone, um, I assume, if everyone hates uh, blue as much as they should, maybe you just pick up. Don't rely on Bastion. Uh, don't rely on too much on getting comments, but you get you get past all these Bastion inventors because people just want to not draft blue and maybe you just get a bunch of these four four hex proof guys and then you can wreck them with just even those those guys um I'm trying to see if there's other uh my the other good ones are are more like at uncommon um i did want your take on whether you actually would want curious question this artifact in your deck especially since if you're going to have mostly um improvised cards and that's the rare artifact I'm trying to find it again uh inspiring statuary three three mana artifact non-artifact spells you cast have improvise um what do you think is the upside of that card if you're gonna be drafting like half improvise anyways do you, would you still want that yeah i don't think it would be a high pick for me i mean i'd have to try it out to see how it kind of looks if it wheeled i would probably take it just in case like i didn't get enough uh, improvised cards, then my decks, like, I can still do something with all the bunch of random artifacts I've picked up or whatever. But um, given that, like, all the cards you actually care about casting and all the cards that are expensive um, should have improvised written on them already, it's not doing a lot. A card in Constructed, I don't think it's, like, a necessity for this deck. Um, maybe like a blue-white deck that doesn't have a lot of improvise, but it's kind of like a like what you would think of as a, a Gear Seeker Serpent deck from um, from Kaladesh. That that's probably a better place for this card. It's like something with Aether Aether Tide Whale in it or something sweet like that. So you can really kind of go off. Sweet, sweet. Okay, so we'll end the show with one last topic. We, we had a bunch of topics that Vince was kind of to, to write up, but uh, consider this the uh, first major post uh, either Revolt Standard slash Draft Limited big episode. Uh, we'd love everyone's comments on the YouTube channel or on the Man of the Pride page once get posted what your experience with drafting is. If you agree with these guys, on their common rankings, especially some of these underrated uh, strategies, underrated cards, Automaton, um, the O3 that's at the bottom of this list deserves to be higher. And obviously Unbridled Growth that also is slotted in like the fifth or sixth slot online. And uh, if you agree with these guys that Prey Upon is not as good in this format in the previous one. So we'll just end this with a fun topic because I love hearing Rob rant and on Twitter, he's been saving it up. He's been tweeting it. I thought it didn't make sense, and I think Vince is going to be on my side, where he was bitching, well, bitching about pre pre-releases and how there probably shouldn't be any pre-releases. Why have pre-releases and release? So, Rob, let's let's state your case and. Uh... Excellent. Thank you for giving me this forum, KYT, and insulting <laughs> me beforehand. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So, um, it just kind of. Uh, like really tilted me this week. Um, or I guess it was last, like last week, right? So, um, you know, we, I, I was able to go to one pre-release, um, but I couldn't go to any other. So I had other commitments. And then there's just like literally nothing going on all week at any LGS. Like, hey, do you want to get a draft going? Oh no, like we can't sell any packs. 
Okay, cool. Um, like, can I, you know, buy cards to start testing for standard? Oh no, we can't sell any cards. Oh well, is anyone here for the standard tournament then? Oh no, no one's here. No one wants to play the old standard. It's just like, what are you doing, Watsy? Like, the LGS is just completely dead from Monday to Friday now <laughs> after a pre-release. Like, there's just no one in the store for any reason, and it's just like doesn't make any sense. Like. Why can't they sell the cards? Who are you benefiting? Like the scumbags who are screwing over 10-year-old kids at a pre-release and trading for like that uh, the new hangerback walker or whatever for five bucks and then like selling it uh, for, for 20? It's just like, it doesn't make any sense. Like just let the stores open up their cards, let the people buy them. So then they have like, you know, they have the time to, to get their stuff and and like build their deck because there's gonna be an F and M on that Friday when the set's legal. And like, what's everyone supposed to do? Like, come into the store at five thirty and like start rummaging through the binders, looking for all the random stuff they're missing for their deck, or or like play a subpar. I don't know. Just it's just so stupid. Like, why do we? Why is there a release and a pre-release? Like, just release the set. Just release it. Let me play. Like, I, I <laughs> like maybe no one wants to play standard still the week before, but like let like let people draft at least. Like, why? Can I buy packs? I can open packs. Like, I don't, what's going on? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> this made sense when there was like you know huge conventions where people were playing pre-releases. But now that it's all centered around the the LGS, like you just, you're basically just like creating a sales ban on them for five days. <laughs> I don't know. All right, events. What what do you think? Why has Watson been doing this this entire time? I actually, you kind of, you prepped me to, to be against Rob on this one. Oh, no. I actually, for the most part, agree, unfortunately. Like, I okay, so the thing Rob said that made a lot of sense about this is pre-releases used to be a huge deal. You used to go to, a, like, it was basically like a 400-person convention. There were flights. Like, you had this whole system in place for pre-releases, and it felt like you were doing something, like an exclusive kind of event that was a big deal. And it was okay that you were waiting a week till the release because this was just a treat that you got. But now that you have a pre-release sealed and a week later you have to wait to do another seal at the exact same place that you did the pre-release, it just doesn't feel like the same level of excitement or exclusivity that it used to. That being said, I don't think this is even touching the major issue with pre-releases. The fact that you then have to wait. So now, now we've had pre-release. We wait a week. Now we get to play in the store. Now we have to wait another 10 days before Moto decides that it can have a set. And of all of the places that there shouldn't be a delay, it's when the it's not physical product. It's a digital product. Like There should not be a delay between when they release product physically and when they release it digitally. If anything, you would expect it to be the other way in terms of logistics. The fact that they make you wait for some random reason, some obscure amount of time until you can start playing on Moto is just mind-blowing. Like, I've heard people say the argument, you know, it's going to kill the local game store if you release something on Moto. Tell that to the massive amount of PPTQs that happen during Moto PTQs. People don't just play on Moto only, like, they're not like, I'm going to a local game store, oh, because I can't play on Moto tonight because it's, it's, I'm locked out or because the set isn't out yet. These people are going to go to the game store anyway. You don't have to wait. It's so ridiculous. And that that bothers me more than anything. Like, I want to be able to pre-release at 5 in the morning in my basement in my underwear and feel great about it. That's what I want to do. And Moto won't let me do it until two weeks after when everyone's already figured everything out. So that is way more of, a, of an annoyance than a... 
the delay between pre-releases and releases. I, I'd watch that stream probably. There you go. <laughs> and I can't do it because it's, for that. there's a, too much of a delay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not. I don't hate everything you said. Um, I think that it it is still crazy to want them to release on the same day. Like I don't think you can release Moto Midnight the same time as the Midnight Real Life event. Like if you're someone that's that only has a certain budget and you just want to go and play and experience the cards, you're more likely to just play on Moto because like you're there, you're at home. If you get fed up, you could just go to sleep. Um, uh, you're not, you know, we're, you know, I guess however far you have to drive to your LGS or whatever. So I'm, well, I'm not, I'm not okay with them releasing at literally the same day during real life pre-release weekend. They should absolutely release it the Monday after, like <laughs> Monday. They should have a Monday downtime or like, okay, fine. They have their schedule. It's Wednesdays for whatever reason. Someone arbitrarily picked a day in the middle of the week. I guess they they probably crunched the numbers and were like, people don't play Moto on Wednesday. It's at least played Moto Day or something stupid like that. So they picked Wednesday to, to bring the servers down and do some maintenance. Okay, cool. So you have to wait to Wednesday because that's when you do releases and, and downtime and, and, and upgrade things. After the pre-release, the set should be available on Moto. But, like, you can't do that because the cards are not available in real life. So, like, I, I while Vince is, like, griping that he wants this to happen, I think they need to solve my problem first before they'll even start thinking about doing this, right? Because once you have the, the stores able to sell packs on that Monday right after the pre-release, then you can bitch more confidently that the cards should be available for you to play with that Wednesday downtime right after the pre-release, right? But if the cards aren't available in the stores yet, then they might, you know, they say, oh, well, we don't want to give you a digital product before the store, yada, yada, because they partner with the LGSs and blah, 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 blah. But I don't know. So, like, whatever. They should just fix both the problems. I would be, like, super happy that. Um, I think everyone would be super happy. I really, like, literally just don't see a downside to that's it. The, so That's the big thing, right? Like, who is who is happy with this? Who's like, I love waiting a week to start playing again. It's so fun. And then like I Christmas. love waiting another week until playing online. No one is satisfied with that, so I just don't get it. Yeah. Well, that's fair. That's fair. I agree. Blake Rasmussen, if you're listening, please. <laughs> please let them know. <laughs> Wow. I know I ribbed on you guys last week, but help 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 a brother out. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Doug? We need Doug to come save us. Um, I'm going to end the show by, by reading uh, a comment on our First Strike podcast Facebook page. I thought, um, let's you know, give this guy a shout out. Uh, I don't know if either of you know him, if he's from another one of the Hamilton soldiers, but uh, Chris C. Uh, Chicky Jr., he says... Can't watch live tonight, but I did play a GPT Saturday running copycat, and everyone who wasn't on it complained about it, that it needed to be banned. Yet there was only one copy in the top four of the seven decks that were played. Or Magic Player is too soft, and does everyone need a trophy nowadays? Or am I wrong thinking that this is a competitive game and people should toughen up and play with the combo or, or even the other banned cards in mind? So, uh, Rob, quick quick uh, little take here. Are, are people just... Uh, complaining too much against this guy like should people feel bad for playing copycat yeah i i agree with him i think people do whine too much that's why you have cards like emrakul band like it was annoying to play against but it wasn't oppressive it wasn't oppressing the format and while smuggler's copter was like um homogenizing like how the aggro decks looked it wasn't unbeatable <laughs> so like i i don't know uh i i think 
you know, whatever. Magic players need to whine about something. We whine about things all the time. The people that, you know, win less frequently than others, they complain about some card being overpowered because they can't beat it because they just literally either don't have the competency to beat a well-tuned deck or they don't like playing the decks that are good and they want to play something else. So what they're really complaining about is, why can't I win with my bad deck? It's like, sorry, we have the internet now. This is just like not a thing that's ever going to happen again. Um, I don't know. Play Frontier if you want to win with bad decks. I, I've seen a couple of top eights with Frontier, and the lists are just horrendous. I mean, you could win with a ham sandwich, I feel like. <laughs> There's like untuned two, three, three, two, three. Like, what is going on here? There's like multiple two drops that are like two, two, and one of them clearly better than the other. How did you put the first other two drop in your deck before you put the third? I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Anyways. I'll rant about Frontier another day. I just I had to slide that in there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Vince, you agree, right? We shouldn't, we should, people shouldn't feel shunned uh, or feel bad uh, for playing Copycat. It didn't even win the SCG. <laughs> no, I mean people shouldn't feel bad for playing a good deck ever. Period. Full stop. Like people, <laughs> people love to find a reason outside of their own incompetency to 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 blame a loss so this is just standard magic player behavior we're all guilty of it i'm not trying to exclude like we're not on some pedestal above it everyone does it but yeah don't legitimize it it's not real it doesn't mean anything it's just <laughs> magic players venting about being bad <laughs> essentially all right okay we're gonna wrap up this episode really excited to, to hear everyone's uh drafting experience uh in the comments and, you know, as, like, Rob actually reads a lot of them and, and replies. So, shout out to oh, you, uh, Rob. I read and like all of them. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next episode. I don't know uh, which two we'll have. And, and maybe we'll have a, a guess at some point. Because I do, I've, ha I've asked, I think I've mentioned this on a previous show, that I've asked, like, people like Jerry T to be on. But uh, he couldn't come on in a previous episode because his internet connection was out of whack. But we'll, we'll have some people on. Of course, I don't know, like... I know Mike Flores has asked me to be on. Has <laughs> asked me to be on. That would be interesting. I don't know who, who to pair pair him with, but uh, I mean, I mean, on the Mike Flores. <laughs> we'll, we'll see everyone next week.